So, Mark chapter 6, we are in Nazareth. Jesus and his disciples have, have gone there. Nazareth is a little bit off the grid. We're not in a major city or a major town like Jerusalem or Capernaum. Nazareth is much smaller. And Jesus can go into the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach, which he does in verse 2. Do you see that? But it's been a while. It's been a while since Jesus was able to do this. Jesus starts out his ministry, if you were to read Mark chapter 1, he starts out going into the synagogues and he teaches in these religious buildings. But it has gotten to the point where the religious leaders, the teachers of the Old Testament of the day, they were called the Pharisees, it has gotten to the point where the Pharisees will not let Jesus into their buildings. They will not let him come in to the synagogue to teach. Because they say, Jesus, you are acting unlawfully. Jesus, you are healing on the Sabbath. Jesus, you are eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, you're telling people that you can forgive sins? That's blasphemy. So they want nothing to do with him. And they want him gone. So what Jesus does is he goes out and he teaches by the lakes. He teaches on the hillsides. But not here. Here, he is able to go into the synagogue. And what kind of things does Jesus say that has caused such a reaction? And what kind of things is he saying now that he has come home? Jesus told people that he was from God. Jesus said to people, repent and believe because the kingdom of God has come near. It has come near because Jesus, the king of the kingdom, has come near. Jesus said, come and follow me. He said, listen and believe in me and be forgiven for your sins which keep you out of the kingdom. That's what Jesus was saying. But the Pharisees won't have him in the synagogues, but back home in Nazareth, Jesus can go into the synagogue. You may know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He escaped then with, his, with Mary and Joseph to Egypt because King Herod was trying to kill him. But now we have reached Nazareth. Jesus was raised in Nazareth. So what kind of homecoming will Jesus receive when he goes back to his hometown? Well, in verse 2, the crowd gathers. And you can, you can imagine the scene, can't you? Our boy Jesus. You remember him? He grew up here. Well, he's back. And he's speaking at the synagogue this Saturday. Let's go and see him. I remember him when he was just a little fella. And hasn't he, hasn't he got big? So let's go hear him teach. And look at verse 2. Look at the end of verse 2 with me. Many who heard him were... See the word? They're amazed. They're amazed. That sounds good, doesn't it? They're amazed. Initially, they are very, very impressed by him. In fact, Jesus is often a very impressive, amazing figure to people. For very good reason. What are they amazed by? Well, look at verse 2 with me again. What do they ask in the second half of verse 2? They say, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? So you know what they see when Jesus is in the synagogue? They see the man. They see the man. And Jesus is a, is a man. He's a human being. He's fully human. So they do see him. But they see two other things as well. Here's the two things they see, right? They see wisdom. 
and they see miracles. Wisdom and miracles. If you, if you have your Bible open there, and it's just as you glance up, you don't even need to turn the page. But if you were to glance up, you would see the second half of Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, Jesus just raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's a miracle. Before that, Jesus healed a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. Word of what Jesus is doing is spreading, even to Nazareth. And even in, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 6, we're told that Jesus healed some people. Jesus had compassion wherever he went. He healed even the sick in Nazareth. So people are saying, it's remarkable. Jesus is performing these miracles. Now what they are seeing, what they are hearing about, is they are seeing the power of God at work through Jesus. It's evidence for them. It's evidence for us. Jesus is not just a man. But what about his wisdom? You know, Jesus is in the synagogue. He's teaching the Bible. But Jesus, there's something different about him. The other rabbis, they, they explain the Bible. But Jesus teaches the Bible with authority because he's the author of the Bible. So what does all this add up to for us? Well, would you keep your hand in Mark chapter 6, but would you all mind turning with me to Luke chapter 4? If you turn to the right in your Bible, it's the next book of the Bible. So you're looking for Luke chapter 4, page 1031. Luke chapter 4. We're going to read the same incident. Luke also records it in his gospel, but Luke has a bit more detail for us. So it's Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, He, Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is in the synagogue, he's teaching the Bible, and he picks a passage that says that God promises, he promised in the Old Testament, but God promised that one day he is going to send one anointed of the Holy Spirit. And this one anointed of the Holy Spirit is going to physically and spiritually set people free. Physically and spiritually. He's going to open their eyes so that they can see God's goodness. And look at what happens next in, in Luke chapter 4. I love this. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. Jesus, he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See what he's saying to them? Jesus is reading this passage. It says God's going to send someone. Someone anointed by the Spirit. Someone who's going to open people's eyes. Someone who's going to rescue people. And he's saying, That's me. And that's what he's saying to these people in the synagogue. Can you imagine them sitting there? I mean, what a day to go to the synagogue in your hometown. And what are they going to do with this? Because Jesus is not just the boy that they knew. 
Jesus says he's from God. So if you listen to Jesus, you're listening to God. Mary is his mother. They all know that. But Joseph is not his father. They know that as well. God is his father. He has the power of God. We've heard about it. We've seen it. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a man. He is God. And they are amazed by this. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm amazed by something, I always respond to it one way or the other. If you're amazed by something, it will prompt a response in you. Here's what you're going to do. You find something amazing. You'll step forward and have a closer look. And you'll listen. And you'll think, oh. And then you'll make a decision. You'll say to yourself, either yes, that's for me. And you'll reach for it. Or you'll look at it and go, oh, actually, no, not for me. Amazed always prompts a response. And there's a choice before these people in Nazareth. Because they are amazed by Jesus. But what are they going to do with what they've seen? It's a fairly simple choice. They'll either say yes or no. They'll either say yes or no to who he is. Would you uh, flick back to Mark chapter 6? If you turn back there and find verse 3. Let's see what they, let's see what they choose. Do they choose yes or do they choose no? By what they have seen and heard. Mark chapter 6 verse 3. They say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Aren't his sisters here? And they took offense at him. It's no, isn't it? The response is no. No, Jesus, no, you're, you're, you're Mary's son. We know you. There's your family over there. You know, we, we, all this wisdom and miracles that you have, well, you're the carpenter. I have a table that you made. You know, that's, that's who you are. Um, you know, in fact, Jesus, who are you to stand up there like this? And you, you return here with, with followers, with disciples. And look at the end of verse 3. They're offended by him. You know, next time you're offended by something, you remember what that feels like. Because if you're not offended by Jesus, it can be kind of hard to understand what does that feel like to be offended by Jesus. But they took offense at him. Who Jesus is offends them. Now I'd like all of us just to take a second and just ask yourself, well, how would you feel if you were sitting there? How do you feel? You are sitting here and you are listening to it now. So how do you feel? Are you offended? Or indifferent? I don't care. Or confused? Or whatever it is. You know what? It, whatever it is, I would love to hear your answer when we're having coffee afterwards. Especially if it's offended. I'd love to know. I'd love to know why. I promise I will not be offended if you say that. I would just love to know. I'd love to talk to you about that. Because this homecoming is uncomfortable, isn't it? Jesus has come home for the weekend, he's come to visit the family, nice roast lunch with mum. It's not quite that nice. It's very uncomfortable. There's tension here between who they knew Jesus to be and who he says he is. And this is why Jesus brought his disciples home with him. This is why they're here. And this is what he wants us to see. Here's what he wants us to see. Right? Some people will find Jesus offensive. 
Jesus brought his disciples with him because they need to see that not everyone will choose to follow the one that they have chosen to follow. And not everyone will believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's what they needed to see. It's what we need to see. It's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but he needs us to see it. So hold on to that. I want you to see that. And let's keep going. It's really sad. Maybe that's how you feel. You feel sad, but it's not surprising to Jesus. Look at verse 4. He says, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. There is a long history, a sad history, of God's own people rejecting the prophets, the messengers that he sends to them. They don't want to hear it. Again and again and again. But here, when Jesus has come to his own town, do you see the different places that is mentioned there? In his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. So it's not just that he goes back to the village and the villagers are... No... It's not just crazy aunt and uncle who think, oh, Jesus, oh, well, at least I can still go home to Mary and, and my brothers and sisters and relax there. Everybody rejects him. Luke's account, uh, we didn't read it, but in Luke's account in chapter 4 of Luke, they even want to push him off a cliff. That's how much they reject Jesus and who he is. So, verse 5 says that Jesus couldn't do any miracles, except lay hands on a few of them and heal them. That might seem a bit odd. In one breath it says Jesus can't do anything, any miracles, but apart from these people. Why that? Why the two of them? It seems contradictory. Um, what, is a lack of faith in people limiting or blocking Jesus' power? Of course not. Of course not. It's Jesus choosing not to. He's choosing not to exercise his power as much as he could have because he's among those who reject him. So, verse 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, when you read those words, lack of faith, I imagine that makes some of us feel really, uh, is that me? It does not say that Jesus was amazed at their doubts. It does not say that Jesus was amazed that they had a hard day and that they struggled to trust him. I think it's very important often to say to people that um, disbelief is one thing, but doubt is something else. Doubt will seek an answer. Doubt will pray. Doubt will go to church or talk to a Christian or something like that. Disbelief doesn't care. And what Jesus is amazed at is they don't believe me at all. So if you ever struggle as a Christian, you're among friends. That's not what Jesus is amazed at. Jesus has been completely rejected. No, Jesus, you are not who you say you are. We don't have anything to do with you. Go away. That's, that's, what, that's what he is amazed by there. And the miracles, the miracles were never the focus of Jesus' ministry. The miracles were a visual sign that people could see and that you can read about that shows what is spiritually happening. You know, Jesus physically healed people to show that people were spiritually being taken from darkness to light. Jesus physically cast demons out of people to show that people were being transferred from the kingdom of the devil to the kingdom of the Son. That's what the miracles were about. So the reason he doesn't do many of them is that's not happening. People are not coming to faith, so he doesn't do miracles. Now by the end of verse 6, Jesus has moved on from Nazareth. They made their decision. But be encouraged, but be encouraged later on, at the very least, we know that Mary, his mother, and some of Jesus' brothers, there probably were more, 
But they did come to faith. They did come to trust in him. God is very gracious. So be encouraged by that. But I thought we could um, just take away a few applications or a few thoughts for ourselves, for us today, about, about this, uh, what we've read today. Um, first of all, let's consider, why do people reject Jesus? Why do people not want nothing to do with him? And you know, you might give me lots of different reasons, and that's all perfectly valid, but you know why people reject Jesus deep down, what the real reason is? It's because of sin. And you might think, hold on, Neil, I thought sin was the bad stuff that we're not supposed to do. It is. But why do we do those things? We do those things because sin twists our heart. Can you imagine it being coiled up? And it makes us think that bad things are, good, are, are a good idea, and that something good like God is bad. Sin will make your heart want to say to God, no, go away. I'm going to rule my life, not you. That's what sin will do to our heart. It convinces us, sin convinces us of the lie that there is more freedom to be found away from God's rule than under us. Sin tries to convince us that Jesus really isn't that important, that I don't really need Jesus, that actually I'm a pretty okay person by myself. I've got my life all sorted. But sin cuts us off from God. We're separated from him. The Bible calls it being spiritually dead. You're not physically dead. If you were physically dead, that would be obvious. But the Bible calls it being spiritually dead. We're not in a relationship with God because of sin. And every human being who has ever lived or will ever live, we all start out this way. Spiritually dead and hopeless. And that was a pretty dead and hopeless kind of account of Jesus going home. It wasn't very encouraging, was it? So it isn't good to say no to Jesus. It isn't good to say no to Jesus. And there is no half in or half out with him. So we should be really prayerfully concerned with those who don't know and don't believe in Jesus. If you do, pray for those you know who don't. Because they need him. And as we think about the people we know and the people around us, I suppose the word for that is culture. I don't know how you feel about culture. Sometimes people don't like culture and they try to retreat from it because it's not very Christian. Or sometimes Christians really dig into culture and we become very much like the culture. There's often no difference between a Christian and the rest of the world. So there is that tension sometimes that we have to figure out how to be God's people here in the world. But I don't know about you, but I'm often most comfortable when I'm around people who think like me on any subject. Not even about God, just about whatever film I happen to see. You know, when you're talking to someone and you can tell you just have this synergy, you agree on the same subject and it's comfortable and effortless. If I'm with someone who I don't agree with, you know what I'm going to do? I will search for the middle. I'll look for common ground. Well, it was an okay film, I suppose, even though they thought it was brilliant and it was absolutely rubbish. You know, we'll look for the common ground. What would happen if we did that with God? We wouldn't mention Jesus. If you're looking for the common ground, if, if, if it's uncomfortable, we're not going to mention him. Because people and culture are going to be okay with a vague spirituality. You know, lots of religions have a God. Lots of people believe that God is, sure, out there, maybe somewhere. He's a bit like insurance. We would like to believe that God is there just in case something happens or someone to call on when things really go really badly. But Jesus is different. You know, Jesus tells us to be gentle and respectful to, to, to the people that he has placed us around. And we absolutely should be, um, to be gentle and respectful. But it has gotten to a point in culture 
where you're not allowed to say anything that might offend anybody. Even we believe that Jesus is God's son and no one else is God and Jesus is the God the Father, Jesus the Holy Spirit is God. That is not going to go down well in culture. But that is the truth. That is who Jesus says he is. And that's why he was rejected in his hometown. Because Jesus was saying he is God who has come to be with us. So what we have to do is to ensure that as we go out those doors, as we go into the world, as we encounter culture, that we don't present only a watered down and acceptable form of Christianity. Our goal should not be to offend people, obviously. But if someone must take offense... Don't let it be Jesus. And if we're ashamed of him, if we present a watered-down Christianity, just like in chapter 6, verse 5, we can't expect Jesus to exercise his full power for us. We'll always have his grace. Of course we will. But if you want to see people come to faith, if you want to see people grow in faith, tell people about Jesus. Talk about him. That's, that's, That's out there. That's culture. What about us? You know, I've said a lot about us having faith in Jesus, about not rejecting Jesus, about honoring him. You know, that's what Jesus was looking for. The prophet is without honor in his hometown, so he was, he, they were offended instead of honoring him. So you might think, well, the takeaway is we should honor Jesus, and it is. We should. What happens when you fail to do that? Because if you've been a Christian for even a day, or if you know any Christians... I bet you've noticed that Christians fail to honor Jesus all the time. Sometimes Christians do push Jesus away because we're angry or we're hurt. You know, God, do you know what's happened to me? Why didn't you do something about that? And we, we, every time we sin, we reject where we're saying no to Jesus every time we do that. So, so what does that mean for a Christian then? Well, what we do is we, in those places where it's just really, really hard. And you know, I don't know what you've been through. You don't know what I've been through. And when we reject Jesus, when we sin, you know what we do? You know what I found in those moments? I found God's grace in those moments to be all the sweeter. Because once you trust in Jesus one time, whenever you say yes to Jesus, then we are totally and completely forgiven for all the sins that we have done before we come to faith and for all the times after. Including the times where we throw it back in his face because we're so hurt and we're so obsessed. So be encouraged by that, that Jesus has died on the cross for all of our sins, every single one of them. And nothing can take a Christian out of Jesus' hands. So on those days when you don't honor Jesus, I have those days too, all the time, when we reject Jesus by sinning against him, when we feel despair, when we feel hopeless, you know what you do? You pray, and you could say something to God a bit like this. You could say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I'm angry. I'm sorry that I really don't trust you very much today. You know, God, I'm sorry that I think you're only good when you give me what I want. Uh, Lord, when this broken world cuts me so deeply, when I am in tears, when it's so hard, would you help me to trust you? Help me to long for you and to honor you in my life, in the power of your spirit, not only when you answer my prayers, but all the time. Because you're good and you're loving and you care about me. And you know, friends, the more time we spend looking at Jesus, the more you will be convinced that God is amazing because Jesus has come. 
He's made that clear that he loves us and he's worthy of our honour and our praise. When we stand and we sing, when we choose to tell people about Jesus, when we live his way, that's honouring Jesus. And it gives Jesus great joy when we live for him, when we trust him. As we finish, can you go to John chapter 1 for me please? I want to leave you with these few verses from John chapter 1. I think it's a, it's a, a good verse to take home with you. John chapter 1, verse 10. When Jesus went to Nazareth, they were offended by him. They, didn't, they, they, they sent him away. They didn't want him there. They said no. Right? But this is why Jesus came. Look at this. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yes, to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with nothing in our hands deserving of your attention or your blessing. And yet you sent us your son because you love us so much. So Father, help us just to respond to that. Help us to come to Jesus in faith and say, yes, Lord Jesus, we believe you are God. Come to forgive us for all our sins. And Jesus, help us to honor you. Because in honoring you, there is freedom. And in honoring you, there is joy. Protect us from culture that seeks to water down Jesus. Help us to lovingly tell others about the Lord Jesus and not to be vague about it. Help us to tell people about our wonderful Savior who loves us so much. Jesus, I pray for everyone who's here. You know exactly what we're going through. You know those times that we have let you down. We're sorry for our sins and we know that we are totally and completely forgiven through the cross of Jesus. So help us to know that by, by the presence of your Holy Spirit and by your words. That we are your children and you love your children. Father, we bring before you all those things that are really hard. Those things that cause our grief, that cause our fear, that cause us to worry. And help us to not worry because you care about us so much. You gave us your son. So of course, you will take care of the rest. Help us to trust your character. Help us to trust your timing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.